This is Double, Double Strength. Strength Mama Power. It's a stuff podcast. We know there is loads of information out there on the internet, so that's why we've created Double Strength Mama Power, a one-stop podcast shop for you to get shareable intel on all things parenting. Proudly brought to you by Ann Mum Pedia Pro 3 Toddler Milk. Ann Mum, you've got this. Our middle child, she hadn't spoken. I was really tired. I'd been to work at 4.30 in the morning. I was feeding her and I did our karakia kai. So I said, no, my ngahua, papa hure warangi no get the kai fita kikia ora haimea huie. And she just went, taikie. <laughs> and that was her first word. So it's sort of like going, hallelujah. And that just revitalized me, woke me up, made me think, oh, this is all worth it. Oh, tēnā pai, Stacey. That's Stacey Morrison, and she's with us today, Tui, for a little korero on raising bilingual kids. The first time any child starts to speak, no matter what language, it is just a really magical moment, isn't mm. it? Oh, definitely. I guess the more you can introduce different words and different mm. concepts to kids at a young age, mm. the better it is. Mm. When my little ones were little, we counted a lot. Mm. One, two, three, stairs, whatever we were doing. And, of course, we'd then do it in Māori. Ah. Having been a part of you and me and it being a bilingual programme, I was so used to tahiru, atoru, mm. far, And, yeah, it was just a very, very simple transition. Ka rawa, Susie. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to hearing what Stacey has to say about it. This is Double Strength Mama Power. Kia ora koutou. Hey, can you remember the first words your children spoke? Maybe they're still yet to come. Whatever it was or may be, that connection through language is one of the most exciting developments we get to be a part of in the world of our little people. For broadcaster Stacey Morrison, that joy is doubled with her tamariki. She and husband Scotty have dedicated themselves to raising bilingual kids, fluent in te reo Māori as well as English. And I learned that that's a commitment that's both tough and deeply rewarding when I spoke to her about that journey. Kia ora, Stacey. Kia ora, Hey. Was te reo spoken at home when you were a child's days? Not at all. I actually remember that I have an auntie who I thought could speak Māori because I'd always hear her say, kawe pena, which means don't do it like that. Uh, but she actually could only say that. But my grandmother is a fluent speaker, uh, but no, we didn't have it at home. And I think... It was probably a survival mechanism for my dad, who's now early 60s and trying to learn and trying to reclaim the deal. But no, we didn't have anything at home or at school. I was too scared to become part of it because I knew that our Māori teacher knew my grandmother and that just doubled up my embarrassment, my whakamā. And so I ran away from her. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just didn't want to... Just sort of sit in that discomfort of how embarrassed I was that I couldn't speak Māori. So I actually learned Japanese first as an exchange student. And it was interesting, the reactions to that are people like, wow, you can speak Japanese. Mm. But in fact, speaking Japanese came a lot more easily than Māori. Because with Māori, I had that expectation that I should actually know. And just all of that language trauma that manifests itself. Did your grandmother put that pressure on you or was that a pressure that you put on yourself? No, it definitely comes from within. And I've uh, seen this in lots of people and it's sometimes your own perception, but sometimes I do 
believe it's an inherited feeling of embarrassment, of loss, and as I say, what we know to be language trauma and how it manifests is that we find it really hard to even learn, to address it, to even unlock how we feel about it. And I say to people, it's not our fault that this is where we are, but it's now our choice what we do from here. Mm. So it's that whole uh, sense of identity of who you are. Well, I guess that was the thing. It's it's like scratching the surface of something you already knew. And it's so big and it contains so much that that's part of the reluctance to go near it because it's not easy. It's, it's about being comfortable in your own skin. Well, that's what it was for me. Whereas with Japanese, it's just joyously, you know, I didn't feel any sense that it was something that I should know. Mm-hmm. But with Māori, I had a really deep feeling of this is me and I can hear it somewhere deep inside me, but I just can't unlock it. Mm. And that is what I now know to be a form of language trauma and why it is hard for people to even come to a point where they're going to try. So you have to be really uh, gentle with people when when they turn up. Turning up is everything. Turning up to learn. How did you find learning Māori as an adult? It is hard. It's uh, I guess one of the things that's hard is we don't have a lot of resilience around getting things wrong. And mm. it's impossible to learn to speak another language without getting things wrong. I guess I was helped by the experience of learning Japanese, mm. but that was in a full immersion environment. But um, I found myself frustrated that I'd have to look over things three or four times and review them to even get it on board, that I had to unlearn some things that I had incorrect pronunciation, sometimes because you were just doing that to fit in or that's how you'd heard it. And sometimes it's really different. Like I grew up with a suburb in Christchurch and it's called Maireho, but everyone called it Marihau. Mm. So it was so hard to even recognise that Maireho should be how we'd say it. So I had lots of challenges and I did it in a really piecemeal kind of way. I'd go to a night class and then I'd try another thing and then I'd drop it for a little bit. It's kind of like fitness, you know. I didn't become a CrossFit champion of the deal. I had lots of stop-start kind of goes at it. Did you start learning Māori before you got married? Yes, thankfully. And I would say that probably Māori language is the reason why we're married uh, to each other. And if we hadn't taken those paths, then we quite possibly, yeah, well, we wouldn't be who we are. I know that much for sure. But the same with my husband. He didn't learn until university, didn't even mean to learn. It was just the one subject that made him free for a Friday, so he had a three-day weekend. (laughs) Um, And I, um, by the stage we got together, because I'd gone home to Ngaitahu and done some immersion courses, I was kind of an intermediate speaker. So when we first met, we spoke Māori maybe... Uh, maybe 40 or 50% of the time. Uh, But then we really determined when we had children, we got married and had children, that Māori language would be their first language. Mm. Because Scotty is fluent, isn't he? Yes, he's very fluent. And is now a Māori language advisor? And professor uh, and author. And he's, it's really unusual actually to be a second language speaker. So he's still a second language speaker. That's what it's considered, not a native speaker. Um, He's fantastically good, um, if I can say that about my own husband, but also irritatingly good. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, are you guys competitive? (laughs) Oh, no, I'm not, because I actually defer to him. And this is a really important point in terms of relationships, because I have another friend who, uh, her husband was more fluent than her. And I said, well, you know, you could learn from your husband. She said, oh, hell no, I'm not having him tell me what to do. (laughs) 
And I thought, I just have to get over myself. Um, people have said to me, well, you're lucky. You live with a papakupu. You live with a dictionary. I said, yeah, but takes yards from me and one of the decisions was for me to humble myself to know that if I wanted the best model of language for my children then my husband's modelling of course uh, was better and that I could learn with him and from him but he's been really gentle and we made our own sort of paths of how we could do that together without me getting hurt feelings. (laughs) Well I mean it's difficult learning from your husband it can also be difficult for a child to learn from their parents so how have your children found learning from you guys? Well they haven't learned they've just grown with the Ah, language so Māori language has been their first language from the womb. So even in the womb, we'd do karakeo, would speak to them always in Māori. And I only had this realisation uh, a couple of years ago now, our eldest is 12, that I could have made this plan and then not followed through with it. I literally did not think of not following through with it. We had this vision and it's quite idealistic that we would return the language to our whānau and that we would return to our children their birthright. And it had not occurred to me that I could have opted out. I would have had every right to because it was hard, but I've never spoken English to my children, basically. What, ever? No. Oh, wow. I I do for other people's benefit sometimes, um, for them to understand, but basically... All of our language of communication is in Māori and they will turn to someone and speak English to them because they're speaking English and then turn to me or Scotty and speak Māori. Mm. How about as a learning curve for you then? Because you are um, you're learning Māori, you're bringing in new concepts and things like that. Well, children are going to provide all kinds of challenges for you. What happens when you didn't have the words? Well, that's what I had to do. I had to learn. And so I really... Um, we, we had a couple of little tactics that we now share with people. One of them was using the kids. So by the time my son was 18 months, I could give him a word like uh, mumutawa, which means ladybird, because he said to me, what's this? And I was like, I've never had to say ladybird. Uh, Quick hair. <laughs> and I looked it up. And he got into the understanding that when you don't know a word, you look it up. And he would walk out with a dictionary. It'd be upside down, but he got the idea. So we'd say mumutawa. Then a couple of weeks later, I say, titiro, he? And I go, mm, what is that word again? I go, hemu, hemu. And he said, mumutawa. Yes. So as an 18-month-old, he can remember it so easily. Um, I basically would sometimes use jingles, make them up uh, for, say, the seesaw, tiemiemi, wanted to remember that. So we made up a little jingle, tiemiemi, tiemiemi, rungararo, 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 e. So the seesaw, seesaw goes up, down, up, down. Do that every time we're on the seesaw, actually as a tactic for me to remember that word. And even Scotty, because he didn't need to know seesaw as an mm. adult speaker of Māori. So there's this whole vernacular of language um, when you are bringing children up in the deal that is different. And that's why we've shared it with our book, Māori at Home, and that's a real big focus for us in Mm. any classes we do. How do you build your confidence as a speaker and a teacher to your children when you might be only learning the language yourself? Yeah, it is hard. um, But also you've got to look at what your goal is. So if your goal is to give them as much as you can, then that is as much as you can for that day and you've got to be cognizant of how big a journey this is and that you're doing your best and give yourself massive points because when it works, like when your kids speak Māori for the first time, it's like a huge experiment you've had and it's gone well and it's miraculous and you've got to bank those wins and that's got to give you confidence. I remember our daughter, uh, she's the middle child, she had a first word that absolutely blew me away. So my son said, 
papa, as they do. Mm-hmm. Youngest said mama, finally. But our middle child, she hadn't spoken. I was really tired. I'd been to work at 4.30 in the morning. I was feeding her and I did our karakia kai. So there's the repetition, uh, something that I know is always right and I can do it four or five times a day just to uh, give thanks for the food. So I went and was feeding her and I said, no, my ngahua, papa hura warangi no ke te kai fiti ki kia ora haime huie. And she just went, taikie. <laughs> and that was her first word. So it's sort of like going, <gasps> hallelujah. And that just revitalized me, woke me up, made me think, mm. oh, this is all worth it. So if you went back to me when I was pre-children, 20s, and said, so you're only ever going to speak Māori to ch- your children and bring them up and that, I think, are you talking to me? Yeah. Um, so this has meant that my children's childhood is unrecognisable to me in so many ways. Nuclear family, Māori language, those things are completely different. Look, learning another language does your cognitive learning so, so much good. Yes, so bilingual children, once they get to a certain stage, I did all of this research, I'm a nerdy mother, Uh, they actually can have an advantage. And I see that in my children. Now their English is very strong. So say my 12-year-old, he has excellent comprehension and reading and writing standards in English. And I think it's because you get used to holding dual information. Mm. Uh, So the two languages in your brain, but also uh, to looking at context. So if you don't know a word, then you look at context and how you can figure out what that means. So there's a lot of language skills that are hugely beneficial and then actually benefit your second language. So I think they are completely bilingual and they happen to have strong English as well because that was our particular focus. If you were teaching them Māori, who was teaching them the English? Well, we did actually assign uh, English role models. So my mother-in-law, Bev, and my dad, James especially. But we did notice that they did start to speak an American accent because they would (laughs) hear it like Barbie uh, on television but not have the modelling of our English so much. And because it that sort of impacted our schooling choices because we knew what our goal was. So once you know what your goal is, then you can make schooling decisions to fit that. So they're in a Māori language immersion uh, school, well, mm-hmm. part of the school, the unit, but they actually have English literacy and from uh, when they are year zero. So that choice for us met our goal for them to be strong in both languages because that's what we were aiming for. What are you aiming for for them when they grow up then? Have you got a doctor and a lawyer? And a <laughs> oh yeah, just huge pressure. <laughs> um, no, well actually it is really important to me that I give the language to our children as a birthright and not as a heavy burden. So I don't want our son to go, okay, my dad's on to karere, I have to be on to karere. I want the language to be something that sustains them it's for te reo Māori to help them live their their best Māori life and their best life as Pākehā as well as New Zealanders. So I want it to be a source of strength, never something that is some uh, a heavy responsibility. But I know it's a joy. I see it and what they do and how they do wayata and haka so much better than I ever could. Uh, and to me, it's their their spirit, their, their way to are coming out because they're getting to be their beautiful, full selves as Māori and as Pākehā. When you're about to be a dad or when you're about to be a parent, you have like all these high-flung ideas of how you're going to do things. Um, and then reality hits when <laughs> baby arrives. And so I was thinking like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna download the Duolingo app and I'm gonna, gonna get really like good at like Mandarin and then I'm gonna like teach Marshall Mandarin English and she's gonna be able to talk to anyone on the planet. Um, but 
That didn't happen, obviously. <laughs> it was a lot of just normal child-rearing things. You can sit her down with a book with Nolan, her younger brother, and she will read the book to him, but she's not literally reading off the page. She's just like saying the words that she remembers with that picture, for example. I mean, and she'll posh off whole books like Peepo or Harry McCleary. And <laughs> she knows the book and knows when she turns the page, but she's just got the stories in her memory. <laughs> There's nothing better than hearing those first words and the sentences being strung together and being able to understand what uh, 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 means. <laughs> yeah, you know, I bring it back. A little bit to Stacey and she talked about um, having context with language. And I think, uh, remembering back to when my children first started talking, they are pointing to things. They are actually using their environment and their context to help understand where they are and the place that they're in and their surroundings and to help tell a story. Yeah, they really are creating a sense of place and mm. a sense of belonging within the story of their lives, aren't they? I think that's one thing that I've really learned from my children is um, the joy and the colour that they bring to the words that they use and the descriptions that they're using. Yes, when they're young and they're not self-conscious mm. and everything is ginormous. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And and so now think about how we often speak to each other. It can be monotonous sometimes, mm. can't it? And it can be a little bit serious. But if we look to our children and how they learn language and how they soak it up. It is with a joy and a vibrancy and an energy. I'm literally standing or sitting taller and taller yeah, as I kind of say yeah. this. <laughs> and I think that's something that we can learn, isn't it? That there is joy in the words that we use and the words that we bring to the stories that we tell mm. ourselves and each other. Whatever you're doing, I think, with your children, whether you're teaching them a new language or just a new, a new skill, it's about having the vision and the um, understanding of why you're doing this, why you're teaching them these things and the importance and value of it, and making sure that you have your tribe who are supporting you in the vision that you have. Mm, having fun while you're doing it and doing it from the heart. Absolutely, wholeheartedly. As you try to recall the last time you had eight hours sleep, take a moment to remind yourself that you're not alone. There's tons of Kiwi parents doing the hard yards, and we understand because we're parents too. And Mumpedia Pro 3 Toddler Milk, proudly developed in New Zealand. No matter what language we speak, the one language we can understand is the universal language of love. Consider this. Your child, from before they were even born, knew the sound of your heartbeat from the inside out. They know the look on your face, the sparkle in your eye, the curve of your smile when you are radiating love to them. Our partners, other family and friends too, know the body language of love. A gesture of open arms, tears of compassion on your behalf, a gentle touch on the arm that says, I see you. Yet for many of us, it can seem hard to access that love within ourselves. In this day and age where we wear so many hats, have so many responsibilities, so many expectations on us, where we are rushing to and fro and inundated with information, emails, social media to check, there's barely time to sit still, let alone access and really feel true and present love. But it's there, 
It's always been there since before we were born when we were listening to our own mother's beating heart. And actually, it's not so hard to access. We just need to stop, to listen within, to open ourselves up. Here's one way you can do this. If you haven't already, close your eyes. This is important so that you're not distracted from all those responsibilities around you. Place your right hand over your heart and connect with it, through its beat, through your awareness of it in this place, in your body. This is your heart, and when you feel it, sense it, acknowledge it, when you connect with it and honour it, then it will be responsive. An unacknowledged heart is closed, cold, armoured, An acknowledged heart is embodied, alive, responsive. So take a moment to really acknowledge your heart now. Honour it with gratitude for all that it does for you every day, every minute, every second. Say in your mind, I feel you, thank you. Now inhale, and as you do, imagine your heart expanding. And then on your exhale, your heart goes back to its original size. Inhale, and it expands a little more. Exhale. Inhale, and it expands even more. Exhale. Continue breathing and acknowledge. This is your heart and it is capable of expansive love for all people. I know it's fairly easy to give love to our little ones. It can be all too easy to forget to give love to our partners, to others who are important in our life and to ourselves. And it can feel vulnerable to wear your heart on your sleeve. But there is strength in vulnerability, so much strength in love. May you find it, may you feel it, and may we all radiate out expansive, inclusive love to all beings. Oh, Tui, I do love your mindful moments, but I must admit, I actually was brought to tears with that segment. Were you? Oh, well, that's the thing, Susie. I think, you know, we just live in such a busy world these days and we really do find it hard to just stop. And I think there's something about the placing of your hand onto your heart, you know, like that's, it's a special thing to do for yourself. It's self-love, it's self-compassion. And if you don't have compassion for yourself, your compassion is incomplete. Exactly. And how can we then be compassionate to other people? Oh, Tilly, I'm, I'm crying. Oh, Susie. Well, um, um, you know, that's, that's just a pleasure for me to actually see that response. And hopefully with our listeners, it's the same thing. And, you know, if you're listening and you are brought to tears with these mindful moments, go with it because that's actually emotion that's potentially been stuck in your body and you're actually allowing it to come out and you're remembering who you are Mm. and you're remembering that you're important 
it's just, you know, it's a wonderful thing to do for yourself. So let the tears roll yeah. if they're rolling. Particularly in a life that is so busy. We're rushing. We're trying to cram in as much into our lives and into our kids' lives as possible. Mm. That um, if we can't give to ourselves gently mm. and with love, mm. how can we give to our children gently and with love? We're too busy rushing them as well. Come yeah. on, get out of the bath. Yeah. Get out of the get yeah. out of bed. Um Mm, so very important we reminder. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take a big breath. <sighs> yes, wonderful. Okay, so next time we'll be meeting with actor Tandy Wright about birth order and what it's like when you're bringing up one and only. Kia ora, Mrs. Morrison. Kia ora, Kaurua. Kaitepe hakui. Kapai. Well, Kaurua, actually. Uh, tui. So, your name, Tui. Yes. Have you seen it written with Macron? So, it has a long U sound and a long I sound. So, it should be Tui. No, I haven't. So, everyone just calls you Tui. Tui. Because the thing about Tui means so, mm-hmm. and Tui is like the bird. Ah, oh. how interesting. Yeah, Tui. Uh, but the tui also is so important in Māori. And one thing that we say about people, if they're a beautiful singer, we say they are korokoro tui. So your korokoro is your throat. Ah. And if you have a throat like the tui, then you are a beautiful singer. Well, mm. do you know that when I got married, I sung down the aisle? Oh. You are a korokoro tui. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of the little song about um, that has. Hi, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tēnā koe, hello to one. Tēnā korua, hello to two. Tēnā koto, hello to all. Hara mai, everyone. Mm. You and me moment. <laughs> Being a parent keeps you busy. Between food prepping, nappy wrapping, bag packing, toy forgetting, baths, baths, nose thieving, sleeping, waking, not sleeping, crying, and ice buying, there's hardly any time to yourself. That's why we make Ann Mumpedia Pro 3 Toddler Milk a simple option. Made with important nutrients and no added sugars. Giving your little ones the strength to grow. And double strength mama power gives parents the power to keep going. Ann Mum, you've got this. Double Strength Mama Power is a stuffed podcast made in commercial collaboration with Ann Mumpedia Pro 3 Toddler Milk.